Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Pesach is coming, and that's always epic. So, so I just want to discuss some ideas to get ready for Pesach. And also, um, if you're interested, uh, I gave a whole talk a couple weeks ago called Decluttering Your Soul, which is all about getting ready for Pesach also. So this will more be about Pesach itself. That's about getting ready for Pesach. So if you want to hear that talk, if you missed that one, um, I recommend it. I think there was some nice stuff on that. So anyway... I just want to begin with this, with this idea um, that, you know, everything is contained in everything. <laughs> you know, we have this um, very sort of like very cool uh, mathematical concept. It's called fractals. And in fractals, every single small piece contains the, the whole. So it's like you could compare it, if you want to think um, biologically, to DNA. Um, but you have this concept in Torah as well, that each of the 13 mitzvahs, 613 mitzvahs, contain all of the other mitzvahs. So, so you have this sort of like endless, kind of like endless journey within, as you break it down, it, it just gets, it, it, the journey just continues and it gets deeper, it never ends. I heard Rabbi Freeman say something one time, he said, if you had like a team of guys from like, say, MIT and Caltech, and you said to them, you pointed to something on the wall, and you just an area on the wall, and you said, come back to me when you've figured out every single thing that's going on right there. <laughs> they would never come back. They would never come back, right? Because there is the, the, the reality, and we sense it intuitively, although we just have to remind our brains of this, is that, is that the, 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 the fabric of the universe is actually infinite. And I think it's one of the great misnomers that people think that there are ultimately answers to everything. And that if we just... Be, you see, where does that come from? Where does that illusion come from? From the fact that the, the human mind, God created the human mind in such an outrageous fashion that we're coming up with discoveries all the time. We're coming up with answers all the time. And it creates this illusion that that ultimately all questions will be answered. But that's just an illusion. It's like the scientist standing by the patch of wall, which is that, no, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. Okay? So, again, I want to, you know, we have certain concepts, like, for instance, just the idea that everything is a miracle, right? Which is, which is a related concept to what I'm talking about right now. Because the, the miraculous is sort of the window into the infinite. Right? So, so every, every single moment actually is miraculous, whether it blows your mind or not. I think the more sort of like stunning uh, insight is that one can get bored of the miraculous. <laughs> That's, you know, in other words, it's not any less miraculous. You've just become bored from the miraculous. Which is, and, and if that sounds like, well, but not me, well, let me just give you the most obvious example in the world. When's the last time that you went to a fireworks show, right? And you know the first few are like, wow, wow, wow. And then by the 20th, you're checking your watch, right? You're like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm breathing. I get it. There's such a thing as reality. <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> It's funny. It's funny. But this is because we are flesh and blood. 
because we have so much finiteness built into us, and it so encases us, and even surrounds our mind, right? Like we have this like, like this black box, you know, surrounding our brains. You know what I'm saying? It just, it's sort of like, it just, it just, it's just a big, heavy blanket on us. So it uh, kind of stops our perception in that way. But anyway, what I want to do is I want to give you this visual. You see, if everything is miraculous, every single moment we're leaving Egypt, and that's all year round. Remember, Egypt is as much... Torah is always working on many, many levels, right? As I like to say, it's the finite... Rather, it's the infinite compacted into the finite, right? If you actually were able to have the eyes to see each letter of the Torah, if you could trace it up to the heavens, you'd see that each letter of the Torah goes all the way up to the highest... through different dimensions and everything like this, right? Um, So it's the infinite compressed into the finite. So there's always going to be a literal meaning, but that's just the starting point. So yes, there is a country called Egypt, and yes, we left it as a people, right? But what does Egypt really mean on a deeper level, you know? So what it means is limitations, and that's actually the, the root of the word in Hebrew. It means to leave one's limitations, Okay, um, and that's going on all year round. So I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example of uh, a holiday, but that's actually it's all it's happening all the time. And then and then I'll tie it all together and hopefully make sense out of this. Which is that every single moment, our our tradition is that the world is being created and recreated every single nanosecond, or I'm sure it's much smaller than that. So, so like, um, if you think of, like, in the, in the old times when they would shoot film, it would be one photograph on top of another photograph on top of another photograph, this film reel, and then they would run it so fast that it would create this illusion of movement and of continuity, right? But really, it's just several snapshots. And that's the idea with reality itself as well. The world is just like being created and recreated every single moment, but it's happening at such a unbelievable, incomprehensible speed that there's this notion of, of continuity. But the bigger lesson there is there's an opportunity to begin and to begin again every single moment. Like Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says, you know something? If your life is crashing down around you or whatever it is, just go, I'm going to start again right now. I'm going to start over right now. And he, he talked about how, you know, back in the day, if one house got caught on fire, like when, when we all lived in villages, like everywhere, like that was really bad news. Because if one house caught on fire, it was only moments before the entire neighborhood went down. So like, like everybody mobilized. And Rebbe Nachman talked about one time where wherever he was li- living, the neighborhood caught on fire and everything got burnt down. And he said that, he saw people picking through like the embers of what their house was to start again. Like, why were they picking through the embers of their house? Because already they were starting again. And he was just so inspired by that, you know? And so if you understand it, not just from someone trying to cheer you up or give you inspiration, but if you understand it from a physics standpoint, 
at least from a Torah physics standpoint, that the world is being created and recreated every single moment, you actually understand there is traction, there is a foothold to actually begin again. It's not just a psychological idea. There's actually, in the mechanics of the world, this, this leverage point to start again. So that's very important. So, so if the world is being created and recreated every single moment, then what's Rosh Hashanah? Right? Rosh Hashanah is like when we celebrate the, the, the new year, but also the recreation of the universe. So again, let me, let me phrase the question that we've been answering for the last five minutes, just in case you lost track of the question. If every single moment we're leaving Egypt, then what do we need Passover for? If every single moment the world is being created and recreated, what do we need Rosh Hashanah for? Do you understand? You understand? So, but it goes further than that. Every single moment, the Torah is being given. Every single moment, the Torah is being given. So then what do we need Shavuos for? Okay? Every single moment that we're in exile is Tisha B'Av. We're mourning the destruction of the Holy Temple. So what do we need Tisha B'Av for? Right? So, and on and on and on. You'll find in every single holiday a theme that's going on constantly. So now what I want to do, now we're ready for the visual. Um, it's a classic thing, one of the most famous album covers as well, but you all know it anyway, which is it's white light going into a prism and then being separa- separated out on the other side into a series of colors right, into the rainbow of colors. So you've got white light coming in, and then it gets refracted out into certain colors on the other end. So first of all, one, one thing, which is just a very basic idea, but it always amazes me, if you have a color wheel, so you have maybe, I don't know, 10 different colors, 15 different colors on this little wheel, if you spin it, it appears white. Like, why would that be the case? Like, I, I, that's, to me, that's very counterintuitive. I would not guess that that would go to white. Maybe some color between white and black, right? Because there are all these different colors there. But it goes to white. I don't know why. So white, you see, contains the whole. You see? So, so the truth is, and, and we... And you know something? If you think of a pure soul, a pure soul is really someone who... Like there's no barriers between them and another person. Because on some level, they're accepting of everyone. In other words, why, why does a bride dress in white? Why, do all, everyone, why does everyone dress in white on Yom Kippur, which is this day of purity? Right? Because there's no more separation. There's no, no barriers. Like on Yom Kippur, there's no barriers between heaven and earth. We're like angels, right? Like it's this, it's this amazing thing. So, 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 so white shows you that everything is contained within everything. Like it's all going on at the same time. But then what happens is you have this dimension that we're living in right now. This dimension has time and space in it. It has certain characteristics and certain constraints. So the prism is like all the laws of physics, okay? All the laws that of, of tzimtzum that make this dimension what it is. So the white light, which contains all of these ideas, refracts through time and space, and all of a sudden, the different ca- concepts, 
contained within the white light, like for instance, leaving Egypt, we're always leaving our limitations, we're always trying to get beyond ourselves and rise higher and higher and higher and higher, all of a sudden it refracts through time and space through the calendar, and guess what? It shoots itself as the headquarters, the 15th of the month of Nisan, which we call Passover. Okay, miracles are always happening. That's one of the things contained in the white light. And then it shoots itself through the dimension of time and space, and it becomes refracted, and it becomes this color on Rosh Hashanah. So those become the headquarters, the distillations of those points. Those are the capitals of those ideas which happen on the calendar. But all of these ideas are constantly going on all of the time. Does everyone get it? But then there becomes that unique point on the calendar where we can access that idea in like the greatest way, the energy of that idea in the, in the greatest way. So right now, what are we accessing? We're, we're, we're breaking through all boundaries. This is the breakthrough day. It's not just leaving Egypt. It's like just breaking through. And I'll just tell you something, more of a kind of a historical whatever. I don't know if you'd call it sociology, but an interesting point. And I heard it from Reb Shlomo, which is that in history, as far as I know, there is no other example of a mass revolution, which is what the Jews leaving Egypt was, a mass revolution of people who just left the country. Like, it never goes like that. What happens is the poor kill the rich. <laughs> and then they take over the land. Bless you. That's what happens in every country over all of history. Right? And then eventually they become the establishment and corrupt. And then the old rich or the new poor kill the new rich and then become the new new rich. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's just a cycle of oppression, right? So what's so cool about the Jewish people is that we went, no, I'm good, bye. <laughs> but the thing was, there was no place to go. You have millions of people going into the middle of the desert, which was a death sentence. It was the ultimate act of faith. I mean, there is, it's wild. It's wild. Two and a half million people approximately walking out in the middle of the desert when they could have easily have taken over the country. Easily. The country had been completely decimated. But they just checked. Bye-bye. So, so that's pretty interesting. So, so, so we're, we're, when, when it comes to Pesach, when it comes to Passover, we're talking about just just going beyond. This is the capital of going beyond. And of course, there's a tradition that, that in the month of Nisan, in this month, and even Pesach night, this is a, a, a night which is, which is very appropriate for Mashiach to come. In other words, the whole world is evolving toward perfection. That's, that's a very root concept in Judaism. We have a very optimistic view of what creation is. We don't think that, like... Maybe, who knows, if we're good enough, then God will sort of improve our lot. It's also true. But, but there's a much more core fundamental concept, which is 
the world itself is evolving toward that and it's happening no matter what. Because that's what God had in mind and planted in creation from the very outset. In fact, before God even created the world, he had in mind the perfection of the world. And so this actually is the subset of the greater reality which we're still waiting for. Right? So it's not, will it come? Can it come? Is that what? No, 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 no. That's the entire plan. <laughs> like, all of this is for that. Um, okay. So, so I just want to say something kind of wild. This is, this is kind of a wild thought. And you have to kind of think about it. And I wish I had a chart to show you because it's a bit hard to visualize. But um, maybe, uh, maybe you can just think about it, okay? You know, the Ari, you know, our great holy Kabbalist says that um, Pesach is actually two different words conjoined. It's Peh which is Hebrew for mouth, and sach, which means to speak. So it means, Pesach actually means the mouth speaks, which is interesting, especially since the, one of the core mitzvahs of Pesach is the Seder night and reciting the Haggadah, which is fulfilling the commandment of speaking. You have to speak out the story, and this is the primary transmission night of, of Jewish history from parent to child. This is really when the Mesorah gets, 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 gets translated. And Reb Shlomo said something so beautiful. He said, you know, it's a very famous thing, but he gives a, a great explanation for this. It's a famous thing that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, is not mentioned in the Haggadah, which is, you know, it, which is very striking, since Moses leads the Jewish people you know, every step of the way through the process of, you know, extracting this people that's like trapped and imprisoned and enslaved in this mighty country that elementary school students all over the world are still learning about thousands of years later. This was serious business, the Egyptian empire. So how could it be that you're telling the story of leaving Egypt and you're not mentioning Moses? I mean, this is one of these great, like, I love being Jewish type moments, you know what I mean? Like, yes, but we don't, but why don't we? I, well, let's use our brains, you know? So, so, so by the way, the, I heard from Reb Shlomo that in Pshisk, right? Pshisk was like where the Ger Rebbe's were, where the Kutzka Rebbe was, where the Ishbitzer Rebbe's were, right? Pshisk was really like, you know, one of the crowning moments in all of Torah history. In Pshisk, they said that the Haggadah was written by Eliyahu Hanabi, right? Elijah the prophet. So obviously, it was coming from the Das Elyon, the highest, the highest wisdom, not to put Moshe Rabbeinu's name in the Haggadah. So, so, but here's Reb Shlomo's explanation. He says, you know why? Because there are two types of teachers. Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, Rabbeinu means our teacher, is the ultimate Rebbe, the ultimate teacher in the sense of when you think of a classroom set, right? That type of teacher. But he says there's another type of teacher in the world, which is your parents. And you know why you don't mention Moshe in the Haggadah? Because this is the night of your parents as teachers. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that beautiful? 
This is where the parents shine. And this is where they can give over. And I'll tell you something. I had the privilege many years ago of being at a Seder table uh, with Reb Shlomo in Florida. And, you know, I was thinking, wow, you know, this is going to be so amazing. Like, I was thinking, you know, we'll be up till 2, 3 in the morning, like, you know, discussing, like, the deepest secrets of the universe and everything like this. And when I get to the uh, Seder table, he whispers in my ear and he says... um, he says, this is really for the kids and we're going to go very quickly. <laughs> and we went so fast and I don't even remember anything. I remember so many things that he said over the years. I don't remember one thing from that Seder. <laughs> All I remember was that he told me that. But you know what? If I only remembered one thing, that was a good thing to remember because it tells you that really Seder night is really for the kids. You know, so that's, that, that's, that, that, I, I took away something very, very important from that. By the way, I'll tell you something else, though. Now, I'm just remembering, I was with him another Seder night. <laughs> and that went till I think, 6 in the morning. <laughs> because I remember, I remember saying Shema after the Seder and thinking, that's just what it says in the Haggadah, that the student said, come on, we've got to stop discussing because it's time to say Shema. And so I actually lived that out in, you know, with him. Um, I'll tell you something else about that Seder. Two other things I remember about that Seder. And uh, one is, well, I won't mention the, uh, the person's name. I don't want to embarrass them, but very holy person. I just, I can see it as I'm talking about it. She was eating matzah, and, and as she's eating matzah with her eyes closed, by the way, you, you must eat matzah with your eyes closed. You must, you must. I'm not saying it's a halacha. It's not a halacha. But if you know what's going on, how can you not close your eyes? It's a very intimate moment. Eating matzah is a very intimate moment. And just, you know, just... And no talking. You're not talking. You've got your eyes closed. And you're really... Well, I just... I'm picturing her. She has her eyes closed. And tears streaming down her cheeks as she's eating the matzah. That's one memory of that. And uh, another memory is, and I never saw Rip Shlomo do this before, around, I don't know, it was late, around two in the morning, he started calling people up and giving them blessings. Right? So he called me up. I was single at the time. And as I stood up and started walking toward him, he said, okay, Hevra, everyone has to daven that David should get married. And I was engaged a few days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we weren't really even dating, you know? So, um, anyway, let me, since we're talking about eating matzah, let me tell you uh, just something to think about while you're eating matzah, okay? Something holy, okay? This is from the Jikavar Rebbe. He's the grandson of the, um, the Ropshitzer Rebbe, okay? Who is one of the top, top lieutenants of the, uh, the Chos of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin. And, uh, Reb Shlomo said that the Jikover Rebbe was a, was a supercomputer before there were computers. Okay? And he was really phenomenal with gematria. So this is a gematria about matzah and eating matzah to have in mind while you're eating your matzah. All right? So, so you know, there are many forms of gematria. One of them is where you actually spell... You, you don't just total each letter, 
but you um, spell out each letter. So, for instance, matzah is mem tzadi he, but you would actually spell out the letter mem. So mem, the way you spell the letter mem is mem mem. So, in other words, in this form of gematria, the letter mem would not have the value of 40, but it would actually have the value of 80, since you're spelling each letter. letter. And you also spell out the letter tzadi, and also hey, and it adds up to 190. Okay, so keep that, keep that number in mind, 190. So if you look at the Torah dates of when we left Egypt, it's very interesting. We were actually decreed to spend 400 years in Egypt. And actually, it says that we left after 210 years. Right? So there, this is a very large subject, and you can, you can spend a lot of time studying this. But let's just get right to it. We were supposed to be there for 400 years. We left after 210 years. Guess what? The gematria of matzah is 190. The difference of the years is 190. <laughs> Amazing thing. So here's my kavana, based on the Jikova Rebbe, but maybe this is what he was... You know, a lot of times you, you think you're adding to what the Rebbe is saying, but the Rebbe thought what you were about to say was so obvious he didn't even need to say it. So I think this probably falls into that category. <laughs> I'm sure this is what the Jikova Rebbe had in mind, that while you're eating the matzah, in other words, you understand, the matzah is filling in the extra years that we didn't stay. We were supposed to stay 400 years. We left 190 years early. Matzah is gematria 190. So in other words, matzah is filling in for fulfilling all the things that we had to do that we ended up not having to do was made up through the matzah somehow. So here's my, my, my suggestion to you. Your eyes are closed. You're eating the matzah. And you're thinking, anything that's been decreed upon me, upon anyone, that by fulfilling this mitzvah of matzah, I'm getting it over with quickly. You hear? Like, whatever it is, like this matzah should fill in the gap. Anything that I still have to go through, that I haven't gone through yet, this eating of the matzah should finish up and, and settle all the accounts. Right? Bring me up to 400, if you will. Okay. So, so here's the wilder thought that I was referring to earlier. Okay, so I told you, Pesach, the, the Holy Ari says, Pesach means the mouth speaks. Okay, now our tradition is that God spoke the world into creation. Now remember, God doesn't have a mouth, God doesn't have a body, God makes bodies. But nonetheless, we put certain, we say, Kaviyocho, we put certain visuals on God, not because God has any sort of embodiment, but because the mind needs something to wrap its thoughts around so that we can begin to comprehend it. So just as a caution, when we say God is speaking the world into creation, God is not a, a person. Okay? As I heard Rabbi Green say one time, which I, I love, we tend to think, again, without just thinking it through so carefully, that, oh, I know what God is. God is like a much stronger, smarter, better version of me. No. <laughs> God is 
Vian, 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 Vian. Okay? Very important. Okay. So anyway, God is speaking the world into creation. Now, if you take the very first letter of the Torah, remember the Torah is the blueprint of creation. If you take the very first letter of the Torah, it's the letter Bays, right? But as we've discussed many times, inside the letter Bays, and this is halacha, the Mishnah Burr brings this. You have to write, if you're writing a kosher Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll that's like legit, when you write the letter Bays, there has to be inside the letter Bays a white letter Pei. Okay, Pei is the... Pei is the first letter of Pesach, right? Remember, Peh, Peh and Peh. It's basically the same thing. It means the mouth speaks. So now, what's wild now is, on the outside of the black letter Bays would be, so to speak, a white fire letter Peh. In other words, that's the mouth of God, so to speak, speaking the world, the black fire letter Bays into existence, right? Because remember, the Torah is black fire on white fire. The black fire stands for the revealed realms. The white fire stands for all that's there in the spiritual realms that you can't see, but it's all there, right? So you have the white fire letter Pei, Pe, speaking the world into creation, which is the black fire bays, right? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That was that thought comes from uh, sort of a collaboration with Adam Melech from years ago. Never thought, never forgot that. It just always blows my mind. So there's like creation taking place here. Okay, so I want to continue and talk about uh, talk about this idea of um, this is from the Sfas Emes and um, just an amazing thought. Okay. So the word Shabbos, you know, Pesach has another name in the Torah, believe it or not. Pesach is also called Shabbos, which is interesting. Um, so, so there's one of the big commandments of, of, of Pesach is to burn your chametz. You want to get rid of all of your leavened bread products. And again, that's not just loaves of bread. That would be also English muffins and cereals and cookies and all these things. Anything that's grain-based, you got to get rid of. You got to just, you got to give it away, give it to a, a, a food shelter. Or if it's not good for that, just throw it out. Okay? Can't have it in your house. Um, and in fact... The morning of Pesach, so, so in other words, if Pesach, the Jewish day starts at night, so, so, so this year will be Friday night, that Friday you actually burn your, your leftover chametz. You burn it. And there are usually spots in the community where you go and everyone comes and burns it. And it's, to me, that's maybe the highlight of my whole Pesach because you're actually like getting rid of evil from the world. It's an, it's an amazing moment. Um... And within yourself. So, so, so this word to burn chametz is tashbishu. And 
the Svasemis points out that that word contains the same root as the word Shabbos. So the question then becomes, what's the relationship between Shabbos and burning your chametz? Right? Doesn't, it's not immediately obvious what that connection is. He says something awesome. He goes, what happens when a person keeps Shabbos? Right? When you keep Shabbos, you are testifying in the most real way that I don't run the world. <laughs> the fact that I can withdraw from creative activity, from work, for 25 hours a week is living testimony in the biggest way that I don't run the world, that God runs the world. Do, do you understand how that's, that's an awesome testimony to make with your life? You know, I love this idea which is, you know, if you look in the, in the Torah, it's filled with stories. And our life is filled with stories. And to take it to the next level, we are telling stories through the life we live. It's not just like this private affair, like, okay, leave me alone. You know, like my, my favorite example of that, old classic example is, you're in a life raft with someone, right? And, and the guy who you're in a life raft with takes out a hand drill and starts boring a hole under his seat. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing? And he says, mind your own business. <laughs> it's like, mind my own business. This is my business. <laughs> you know, we think, we think that whatever decisions that we make, leave me alone, this is between me and me. And okay, it's true on some level. I'm not, I'm not disputing it, right? We have our private lives, that's true. On the other hand, though, we also have to be aware that we are telling stories through the choices that we make to everyone. That's also going on in a very real way. And, and to ignore that reality is to kind of be a little bit, you know, not checked in really, you know? So anyway, when a person keeps Shabbos, they are sending this message that I don't run the world. It's a very powerful message, which means God is running. Okay. So, so let's, let's build on that. That's, that's step number one. Now, when you do that, you see, what's the difference? What, what's the difference between bread and matzah? Okay, matzah is like, matzah is revered uh, among Jews, spiritually speaking. The reason why matzah is revered is because matzah doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. It's just, matzah is the realest thing in the world. It's just, here I am. <laughs> I'm just, I'm bread and water, folks. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else is going on. No sleight of hand. This is me. This is what you get, right? So what is bread on the other hand? Bread rises and it's filled with air and it looks really impressive from the outside, right? You know, one of the things I try to explain to people when they try to break into Hollywood and things like that is it seems like everyone's driving such a fancy car. They're all leased, and half the people can't afford the month-to-month -month rent. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's all show. It's like, really, it's based on nothing. Yeah, but look, it's, it's a brand new fill-in-the-blank. It's, check, ask, call the guy in three weeks, see if he still has the car. <laughs> 
You know, but that's so that's 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 a loaf of bread. That's 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 it's all puffed up, but it's just air. And basically what that means spiritually speaking is I am attributing power to myself that I don't have. I am expropriating God's power and I am attributing it to myself and it's just, it's, it's a lie. It's just a lie. Okay? So now we can bring you to the answer of the Svasemis. He's going to tell you the connection between the word Shabbos and this Hebrew word which means burning chametz. How are they the same? Because when you keep Shabbos, you're burning all of this falsehood from your life. That's the connection. You're getting rid of this puffed up illusion that, that we present about who we are and what we are. Okay. So that's, that's that point. Um, so I want to go deeper. There's an amazing connection between the word matzah, or, um, yeah, matzah, and chametz. Now, that's, that's very strange. How can matzah and chametz essentially be the same word? So l- let me just tell you what, what, the, what the one difference is, because they're opposites. One means the complete absence of any leavening or puffed-upness or falsehood. The other means the embodiment of that, right? And by the way, let's just take a moment to appreciate how far out bread is as a concept in Judaism. Because you can have a loaf of bread, right, which is 10,000% kosher, the biggest prophet in the world. Moses himself would eat this bread. And one moment later, if he eats this bread, his soul is cut off from heaven. The same loaf of bread. I don't know that there's another example of this. There might be. There might be. But it's, it's the very... And then, a period after Passover, it goes back to being okay. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Context. 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 You know? Like, people who are wise... Uh, people who are wise, one of the traits of a wise person is they understand context. They understand the situation that they're in. Right? So you have to know. You have to know, where am I? What am I? What is this world? What is this lifetime? What, what is expected of me? Why, why is it even here? Remember, it's a thought that I always go back to. No one made God create the world. God did not have to create the world. So, so again, we've got this um, amazing correlation between the word matzah and chametz. But what is the connection exactly? The letter hey, if you, if you can picture the letter hey, right? There's a little space between the bottom freestanding leg and the top, right? So I'll draw a hey for you. That's the letter hey. There's a little gap over here. Okay. So the letter ches has no gap. That little line goes all the way up to the top. So a ches is like that. So the only difference between a hey and a ches, which is the only difference between the letters that spell out matzah and chametz, is that little tiny space at the top. 
That's it. So I just I want to say a Torah. Let me say a Torah here. Well, let me start with the let me start with the Vilna Gon. That's from the Vilna Gon, by the way. So let me just start with um, a basic idea, and then I want to tell you a, a new idea, like for me. So the basic idea is that you know what that little space is which turns something from super holy, matzah, into something that's chametz, forbidden? It's a little bit of time. It's a unit of time. Because if you leave matzah in the oven, the exact same ingredients, for over 18 minutes, what happens is it rises into bread. So what's really cool about matzah, just on another level, is matzah is not just matzah. It's matzah and not bread. Because it could have been bread, the exact, all the circumstances were lined up for it to be bread, but it got pulled out before it could become bread. So do you understand? It's not just something that it is, it's actively something that it isn't, which is a very cool property about matzah, one of the things that makes it so holy and special. Okay. One of the, you know, one the uh, one of the things that in Mesilas Hasharim that the uh, Ramchal brings is a steps from. I don't know where it's from. I don't think it's from the Gemara. Maybe it is from the Gemara or the Tanya Debei Eliyahu. I'm not sure exactly. Where is it? It's it's the steps that a person needs to go through in order to achieve Ruach Hakodesh which is basically a form of prophecy. Okay? And one of the steps that you, you have to go through is something called um, zrizis. Zrizis means that you do a mitzvah quickly. Right? And something happens in the world when you do something quickly. Like you're told to do something, you allow yourself to be commanded to do something. Right? You understand your role in creation is that you're you're a creation. God wants you to love this world. Remember, one of the very important things that most people don't know is that if you ask people, what's the first commandment in the Torah, the first set of instructions in the whole Torah? Most people would say, well, relating to human beings, it would be don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Right? But that's false. The very first thing God says is enjoy all of the fruits of the garden. Just this one don't eat from very, very important, very important distinction and in, in, in one way in which Torah is fundamentally misunderstood by people. We embrace this world. We delight in this world. We want this world. But we also understand that there's a God and there are certain boundaries as well. Okay? Um, and actually that enhances our pleasure of the world if we understand it. But that just... If you don't grow up that way, it just takes you a while to get used to that rhythm. But once you get it, then you go, oh, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite examples of that is that when I first started keeping Shabbos, I started keeping Shabbos when I was like 24. When I first started keeping Shabbos, you know, there's so many, there's so many rules, you know, and it's like, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this. And then at a certain moment, I realized... You mean I get to do nothing? <laughs> That's fantastic. I love this, you know. But it, 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 you have to get used to that rhythm. And then you realize all the opportunities that are available. Okay. So, so 
something happens in people which is see it's a very high level to be commanded very high level to be did anyone ever important ask you to do them a favor have you ever been have you ever experienced that can I tell you it feels so good he wants me to do that for him he knows me he likes me he trusts me Right? That's what we're talking about. This word command is so archaic and horrible, like you're being hit over the head with a club. It's not, it's, that's English, that's not Hebrew. That's not really what's going on here. God is, it says he's kissing you with the kisses of his mouth. That, that, that's, what, that's how the Torah refers to what, the, what we translate as commandments so unfortunately. They're kisses from God's mouth. It's this, it's this intimate bond between you and the divine. Right? But if you wait a long time, here's what I want to say. Remember, we're still answering the question how can the word chametz and matzah be the exact same thing except for a little tiny window? And that's the passage of time. Because if the creator of the entire universe asks you to do something and you say, when I'm ready, when I get around to it. (laughs) All of a sudden, who are you serving at that moment? God or yourself? Who's in charge at that moment? God or you? Who's getting puffed up at that moment? You understand? You understand how... We're talking about nuances here. We're talking about nuances here. And this is, this is not to make a person neurotic, right? This is, we're not advocating neurosis here. But we have to understand the principles, and then we try to do the best that we can, right? Then we start from scratch, and we try to get to that level, okay? But the idea of a person can, can move in the moment, that's a form of freedom. That's a form of freedom from themselves. That's a form of freedom from their own resistance in Yitzhahara which is sort of like making them go, when, when I want to do it, when I get around to it. That's, that's a Mitzrayim, that's an Egypt. And then there's just this flow, right? There's this divine flow, it's coming into you and it's coming right out of you, and it's circulating right through you. And that's a form of prophecy, because what is prophecy? The word of God is coming to you and then you're speaking it out. It's that flow. So it makes sense that that would be one of the steps to achieve Ruach HaKodesh. Okay, now I want to say my own thought on it, okay? So it says in Gemur Menachos that God created the world with the, this world with the letter He. Okay, so we were just talking about the letter He, right? We were talking about how the letter He is shaped. It's like there's like this, right? This right angle at the top, and then there's this line at the bottom, and there's a hole between the bottom and the top part, right? And we like the letter He, right? Because it's, a, it's the letter He for matzah, and not the letter Ches, which turns it into Chametz, right? We like that opening at that top, right? Listen to what the Gemara says. I'm making this connection now. The Gemara says, you know why God created the world like the letter He? Because this world is like a letter He, which is that the wicked drop through the open space in the bottom. See, right? There's a letter He, there's no, there's, there's an opening at the bottom. The wicked drop through, but they can still climb back in <laughs> through that hole in the top. <laughs> mm. 
And then they say, well, why can't you just go in through the bigger hole, right? And they say, no, you don't enter in the way you left. That in itself deserves a long explanation, but I haven't, I, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> I had to study that. But it says, no, you don't go in through the way you left. You go through this new opening. Now, what if there's no opening? Then it's a ches, then it's chametz. Right? Because that's the hole that you need. If it gets locked off, if it gets locked off, then you can't get back in. And what did we say chametz is? Chametz is arrogance. How can I return? After all that I am, I'll, I'll be saying that all the choices that I made were somehow off a little bit. Uh-uh. But then you eat some matzah and you realize, what am I anyway? All I am is matzah anyway. Then you turn yourself back into a hay and then you've got a big hole to re-enter. <laughs> right? You know? One of the things that I think is so humbling, think about it sometimes. A lot of times, third meal for Shabbos, like in Shul, Shalashudas, right? People will often sponsor it for a dead parent. And, and, you know, people live longer these days, you know? So, we've got people who are like, like 70 is young now. You don't want to leave the world at 70. 80 at least 80, you know. Let it be longer than that. But at least 80. Not, not 60, not 70, right? So, so you've got people who live long lives. And, and I, I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of these speeches over the years where someone will speak for three minutes about their parents. And at a certain point it hit me, that's all I'm going to get? I'm going to... I'm going to get three minutes. I'm going to get three minutes at Chalashudas in front of nine people. That's, that's where I'm heading. What are they going to say? What are they going to say in three minutes? Not, I mean, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about all of us. All of us have done more than three minutes worth. You know? Especially if you raised a child who's sponsoring a shalashudas for you, then for sure you've done more than three minutes worth. But all of us have done more than three minutes worth. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? You know, I don't want to give any details because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but this story just kind of played itself out this morning, so it's fresh in my mind. I heard someone say, I am not doing this. I am not. You can bet. I, I mean, repeatedly for months in the most dramatic way. And then I got a text today saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> and I'm so proud. I'm so proud because... To me, that's a Shalashudas moment. <laughs> it's a Shalashudas moment. That is the type of thing, if you only have three minutes to talk about a person, you go, you know, he's a very determined person, but you know, in, in the end, he was also very open-minded. 
He had a strong sense, but he always wanted to do the right thing. That's a Shalashudas moment. Okay. Start to wrap it up a little bit. <clears throat> um, you know, I noticed something about the calendar that I thought was super cool. I think this Shabbos Hagadol that we just had, just yesterday, was the best one I ever had in my life. It was so good. We had a Mashiach panel. Like about an hour or so before Shabbos, I had this idea. Let's make a panel and just brainstorm about ideas to save the world. And it was, I wish, you know, for those of you who weren't there, I wish you were there. It was like a great collection of people. And then the people who came, everyone was participating. And there was such a warmth and a, it was just a beautiful gathering. Um, It was all very last minute, so most people didn't hear about it. But it was really something. And... um, Anyway, I was thinking, you know, Shabbos Hagadol is the 10th day of Nisan. And I think most people know that, you know, every month has a different personality. And the month of Nisan and the month of Tishrei are very closely related. In fact, there's a big debate in the, in the Talmud, when was the world created? In the, in, the, in the month of Tishrei, where we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Or in the month of Nisan, where we have Passover? Like, it's a big debate. And when is... When is the redemption going to come? In the month of Nisan or in the month of Tishrei? And they're both, you know, they're 12 months in the year and they're both exactly six months apart. So they're like opposite sides of the time-space continuum. So they're, they're very, very linked. And on the day of, um, the 10th day of Nisan is Shabbos Hagadol, which is translated as the Great Shabbos. Now I'll tell you just this awesome Torah from the Svasemis, Okay. And I'm grateful to Rabbi Baron for sending these out. I, I learned this one and the earlier one from him as well. So, so, so the Svasama says that on Shabbos Hagadol, now remember, Shabbos Hagadol, what happened historically, and a lot of things historically happened on Shabbos Hagadol, okay? It was the last Shabbos um, before we left Egypt. Now, you have to understand something. We have a spiritual principle, which is all the blessings that happened during the coming week, they all come down on the, on the Shabbos beforehand. All right? So, so, so if we're leaving Egypt, which is epic, that blessing came down the Shabbos beforehand, so, that, that's, so it's appropriate to call it the Great Shabbos. But it was also the 10th of Nisan. Shabbos and the 10th of Nisan don't always happen on the same day. So, so as a result, we had to pick one, so we picked the Shabbos before Pesach, and we call it Shabbos Hagadol, even though it's not always the 10th day of Nisan. But that's okay. Um, historically speaking, other things happened on that day. W- one of them is that, uh, you know, the 10th plague was coming up. The 10th plague had been announced, which, which was the death of the firstborn. And nine previous plagues, which Moshe said were coming... They all came exactly as he said. And then when Pharaoh begged him to have them end, they, Moshe ended, you know, through God, ended all of them. 
So, I mean, Moshe at this point is nine for nine on the most miraculous activities. So now when he announces the death of the firstborn, unless Paro lets out the Jewish people, and Paro is not going to do it, there was actually, and this is one of those things that you really see the proof of Torah, because this should have happened. If this didn't happen, then you have reason to question things, I would think. But it did happen. There was a revolution of firstborn sons against the Egyptian authority, saying, we're going to die. We're all going to die. Is this what you think of us? Is this how little you value us, that you're ready to sacrifice all of our lives? And there was a rebellion, and it happened on Shabbos HaGadol, the 10th day of Nisan. Very interesting. Not so well known, by the way. And of course, we know how that story ends. They all die. Um, even the firstborn animals. Um, another thing that happened on the 10th day of Nisan, again, this is like, you realize how, you know, it wasn't just like we were standing around and then God says, okay, it's time to go, and then we go. This was like a very grueling, grueling event. God says, okay, take a sheep and bring it into your house. Okay, well, that's okay, except the sheep is the god of Egypt. This is one of their main gods. Not only that, but they were very into astrology. This is Aries, the month of Aries, which is, which is the, the time when this particular god was at its ascendancy. So you're taking their idol worship at the peak time of its idol worship, and you're bringing it into your house to kill it. I mean, you know, we, we tend to think of, um, you know, just, just this sort of like very passive kind of orientation, you know, so because we've been the subject to so many persecutions. But at the root core of the formation of the Jewish people is this very amazingly strong, you know, warrior-like sensibility, you know, and that's, that's also Jewish but in the right time, under the right circumstances. Okay. So, so now I'm going to just take it from a much more spiritual standpoint. Okay? And, and this is from the Sfasemis now. And uh, he says, how is this the great Shabbos? Why is this called the great Shabbos? And he says, fascinatingly, this is when Shabbos became Shabbos. So wait a second. You say, wait a second. You know, I, I read the opening of Breshis, the, be, the beginning. It says, by the seventh day of creation, God says this day is Shabbos. So, so Shabbos existed from the beginning. What are you telling me that, that Shabbos became Shabbos thousands of years later when the Jews left Egypt? I don't even understand how you could say such a thing. So listen to what he says, something phenomenal. One of the most beautiful Midrashim in the whole Torah, according, in my opinion. You ready? So, so there's seven days of the week, and every single day of the week has a soulmate. Okay? Sunday has Monday as its soulmate. Tuesday has Wednesday. Thursday has Friday. But you know what? 
Shabbos, there's seven days. That means there's going to be an odd man out. Shabbos, Shabbos doesn't have a soul name. So Shabbos goes before Hashem and says, Hashem, who will be my soulmate? And God says, your soulmate will be the Jewish people. Okay? So we have this very intimate relationship with Shabbos. Now you know when you marry your soulmate, you become the fullest version of who you are. Right? So so Shabbos can't be the Shabbos that it's meant to be until it has its soulmate. But its soulmate is the Jewish people. But the Jewish people don't exist until we actually leave Egypt. So Shabbos is waiting around for thousands of years to be Shabbos. (laughs) Because it can't be Shabbos without the Jewish people, and the Jewish people don't exist yet because we haven't left Egypt. So when the Jewish people leave Egypt, all of a sudden Shabbos can be united with its soulmate and be like this amazing partnership. And that's why Shabbos didn't become Shabbos until the 10th day of Nisan. And that's why it's called Shabbos Haggadol, because it became, Haggadol means big, it became the most full, big version of who it always was meant to be. And why couldn't it be Shabbos before then? Say, okay, there are Jews around. Okay, so there's no Jewish people. But the Jewish people as an entity is a very big vessel. Now we have this idea that, you see, let's say I have a lot to give, right? I'm a great professor of mathematics, say, right? And I have this child who's one years old, and I want to tell him all of the amazing properties of, of advanced calculus, It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because the child can't receive. You see, you have a giver and you have a receiver. And the receiver has to be able to receive what you want to give. Otherwise, there's a destructive element that takes place. The person has to be able to receive. What happened when the Jewish people left Egypt is we became a people, we became a vessel that could now finally fully receive what Shabbos wanted to give. So Shabbos could become Shabbos HaGadol, Shabbos could become Shabbos. That's from the Svasemis. So I just connect that last point that I started before, and we'll finish for real, which is that Nisan, this month that we're in now, the month of Passover, and Tishrei, the month of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, are partner months, right? Right? Six months apart. And when was the world created? When is Mashiach going to come? Like, could be either way. So the, the tenth day of Nisan is Shabbos Hagadol. That's when Shabbos became Shabbos. You want to hear something interesting? The tenth day of Tishrei is Yom Kippur which is called the Shabbos of Shabbos. Isn't that interesting? And 10 is really an epic number. 10 means a completed entity, right? Right, because there are 10 spherot. The world is like created out of these 10 divine energies. 10 is the number of completion. So isn't it interesting that you have like the Shabbos of Shabbos on the 10th of Tishrei and the the great Shabbos, when Shabbos became Shabbos on, on the 10th of Nisan, right? 
But then we're going to get something even higher now, because now we're, we're like at the top. We're at the top of the top right now. But guess what? We're going higher. <laughs> because we're heading, toward, we're heading toward Pesach, right? Which is like this great opening. So Hashem should bless us that really we should leave all of our constraints. We should make all the breakthroughs that we need to make in every level of our life, in terms of health, in terms of finances, in terms of relationships, in terms of career should be able to really, in terms of um, understanding what our purpose in this world is, in terms of understanding why there's even a world at all. And, and, and we should all be able to do it in the purest, sweetest, most joyous way. And we should all be able to do it together as a people and together as an entire world because we're all children of God. 